Well, good morning, everyone. And I welcome you to bring Calvary Chapel. And uh, I pray the Lord blesses you through his word today. Um, so do I have a feedback there a little bit? Screen going up, okay. <laughs> uh, just one announcement to make. We have the woman's Bible study coming up this week, Tuesday evening. And uh, so what I would like all of you ladies to do who are going to attend is to send her your email address so that she can also email back to you a copy of the, the study guide. And um, so that will be this Tuesday evening. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how we thank you for your word. And I pray that you would uh, just bless your word to our understanding in such a way that as we cover this portion of scripture, it might help us to grow not only in our knowledge of you, but in our ability to be able to share the truth and, and have the, the motivation to share that truth in this world that seems to be perishing all around us. And so I ask, Heavenly Father, that you'd bless each one who is, is here, those that are watching on TV, and I ask, Father, that you'd anoint and use me to minister your word and your truth to all who are attending and listening. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. To you three who are attending, that was just you. <laughs> and we are in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And uh, Pastor Frank Jr. finished 7. And so we're picking up in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you know, one of the things that I really wanted to encourage everyone in is to understand that the Bible, this book that each of us cherish and, and probably have many of them in our homes, was meant not only to be read as some kind of a novel. This is the word of God to man. And even though we're reading some of these Old Testament accounts, they might seem to have no meaning or purpose to us, but they do. They're an application that is found for each one of us even today. Because what was written in the past was written for our learning. And that we need to have constant you know, faith and endurance of the scriptures that the hope that God gives us, we might be able to share with the lost world around us. And I think there comes a time, and, uh, and I'm talking about just our whole environment in not only our nation, but our world today. There comes a time when the church has to stop depending upon politics and world situations and just start becoming the church. No politician can take the place of Jesus. No acts of Congress or laws can take the place of evangelism. You know, there's an old saying that goes like this, you can't legislate morality. And that's the truth. That's the case. And I think too many of us as believers have gotten to a place where we're looking to the government. We're looking to politicians in order to take care of our uh, religious freedoms and, and also to the morality of this nation. And that's not the job of the government. That's the responsibility of the church, is to be able to take the word of God and to put it in an understandable way and a way that can be acted upon by people in order to live according to the moral standards of the word, which is what we're going to be, going to be looking at in a moment where um, the Lord is speaking to the children of Israel as they're coming into the land, and he's telling them, this is the way you need to behave. You know, you think about it. You can't legislate morality because man's heart is exceedingly wicked, beyond understanding. Who can understand it? And I was thinking about the fact that 
even after the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Now, you have to understand, Jesus is coming back. He is going to reign on this earth for a thousand years. We're going to reign with him. But there are going to be many people that are born during that time. There are many who think there will be no death at all during that thousand-year reign of Christ. And so the world's going to be completely repopulated again. And because no one can enter heaven without choice, the Lord releases Satan from being bound for a thousand years from the bottomless pit in order to go out and deceive the nations. The amazing thing is, he deceives many. There is a vast army that he raises up to come against the city of God. Of course, at that point, the Lord just rains down fire and it's over with. But the point that I'm getting at is even after the perfect reign of Jesus Christ, men's heart, hearts rebel. And so we have to understand the heart of man is exceedingly wicked, beyond understanding. Who can know it? And that's the reason we need the word of God in order to show us our need. But then we need the filling of the Holy Spirit by being born again to be able to fulfill the requirements of the word of God. And we'll never fulfill them completely. It's by his grace that we're able to continue on. Now, it's time for the church, I believe, to turn from the world and to turn to Jesus Christ as our all in all. Governments might decide that churches are a non-essential gathering, but the Bible says that we are the most essential gathering in the entire world. And brothers and sisters, all the more as we see that day approaching. The Word of God tells us and commands us to gather together. In fact, I'll give you time to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I know it's a portion all of you know, many by heart, Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll be picking up with verse 23. Because we have to understand whether we're going to abide to the dictates of politicians or the word of God. We really need to come to that understanding. So in Hebrews chapter 10, picking up with verse 23, and it says, and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful that's the lord and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together and that's the same word that is referred to when it talks about us being caught up together to be assembled together to meet the lord in the air so it's talking about believers being gathered together as is the manner of some, but exhorting, exhorting one another, and all the more as we see that day approaching. And brothers and sisters, that day is fast approaching. If there's ever been a time for us to exhort and encourage one another in our assembling together and our looking to the coming of the Lord, it's today. Now, picking up in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm going to start off by looking at verses 1 and 2. And it says this, Every commandment which I command you today you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply. And we can think of that not only in the sense of living physically and multiplying by having children, but in the sense of being the church that we might be alive and that we might see many people brought into the kingdom. And go in and possess the land, um, and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember the Lord your God you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness 
to humble you and to test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. It must be the Lord who leads us. It's either the Lord leading us or the flesh in the world. And if the flesh in the world is leading us, we're going to go in wrong directions and down some, some paths we wish not to go down. It has to be the Lord who leads us. And so we have to understand all of God's commandments that he has given is not to show us how awful we are, but rather to show us our need. You know, so many people, they look at the commandments of the Lord, you know, thou shalt, and, and, or you are too, and, and all of his commandments, and they think, oh, they're so harsh, they're so hard. Why is the Lord doing it? To show us our need. If we don't see our need, you see, there's no reason to take any precautions or any movements to meet that need. And we have to understand, if there were, if there were no solution to our need, then his commandments would be cruel right? You've got to do this, you've got to do that if you want to go to heaven. You have to do this, you have to do that in order to please me. And if there is no answer or solution, because no man is capable of keeping the commandments of God on his own. And so if there were no, no solution, the commandments would be cruel. But there is a solution, and his name is Jesus Christ. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Sin and death. Because the reality is not, no one has ever walked the face of this earth except Jesus Christ, who was able to keep the commandments of God perfectly. And that is what qualified him to be the perfect Lamb of God, to take our place, propitiation, to die for our sin, for the sins of the world. And so we have to understand is that his commandments are perfect. And we know this. I don't think there's anyone I've ever talked to who has said to me, well, you know... This has been an awful week. I've been obedient to the commands of God, and, and I've followed all of his dictates, and I just feel awful. No one's ever said that. But I've had people say, I've rebelled against the commands of God. I have walked in ways I shouldn't have walked, and I feel awful. But I think when we f feel like we're walking with the Lord, there is such a joy and peace that only he can give. Now, here's the reality. We all fall, and that's where his grace comes in. The Bible says it's by grace that we're saved, and it's by grace that we grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's so important for us to realize. But we have to understand that all of his ways, all of his laws, all of his commands, all of his, all of his statutes that he gives us are wonderful. In Deuteronomy 32.4 it says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are just. In 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. And David repeated that in Psalm eighteen thirty. And then if you go down to Psalm nineteen seven, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. How is the law of the Lord perfect in converting the soul? when we know that we can't keep the law perfectly, not even close to it. It's because when we recognize our guilt, we seek someone to intercede for us. We seek an advocate who is Jesus Christ. So the law is perfect in converting the soul because it's by the law I know my need and I cry out to a Savior who brings salvation. Also in Matthew 5.48 it says, Therefore you shall be perfect, 
just as your Father in heaven is perfect. How can we be perfect like our heavenly Father? By trusting in him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture says. And by walking in his grace and in his mercy, we're able to stand perfect before God, not because our actions are completely perfect, but because his justification is perfect. Again, in Colossians 1.28, it says, that we, may be, that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. The only way anyone can be presented perfect in Jesus Christ is by accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's how we are in Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we can't underestimate in any, by any means the importance of salvation in Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's the job and the responsibility of the church. So if we are progressing and growing in grace, we have to understand it's all him. None of us can say, well, you know, I've just gotten so good. I've just gotten so wonderful. It's always him who allows us to progress and grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We all fail. We all, you know, fall short of the glory of God. Scripture tells us that. And so we have to understand it's only by his grace that we can lift our heads up and follow after him. I mean, think about it. We're all messed up. All we have to do is ask others how messed up we are, and they'll tell us. Do you ever notice others know how, how much more messed up you are than they are? <laughs> but my point is, only in Jesus can we have this kind of forgiveness. Because he's the one who guides us. He's the one who gives us the strength to follow after him. And um, we also have to understand where we have come in our walk with the Lord, however, however far we have come in our righteous loving of God, it's all him. It's never us. It's never a place where, well, I, I'm really doing great. It's a matter of I'm surrendering more. I'm surrendering more. You know, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. is isn't just an old hymn. It's the truth. We surrender, and he fills us up. We allow ourselves to be emptied of self, and we're filled more with his Holy Spirit. Because like the Israelites, we have to understand he's the one who leads us, he's the one who protects us, and he is the one who provides all of our needs and eventually takes us into the land of promise. But yet we have to understand, and some people have difficulty with this, but the wilderness experience of our life is very positive. The wilderness experience of our life is very, very necessary. Because this is where we're tested. This is where we recognize our need, and this is where we cry out to God. When we're in the wilderness, and it's like what's going on? How am I going to get out? This is crazy. That's when we cry out to the Lord. You know, and not trying to get off topic, but I think the whole world has gone into a wilderness experience we've never seen before. I mean, you think of the entire world politically, you know, as far as this, this whole, you know, COVID-19 is concerned and, and the way it's trying to, to it just the whole thing is crazy. And so we have to realize there's never been a time for us to cry out to God as it is in this wilderness experience. And we cry out for him to fill us. 
that we might be his servants and able to be a light to the world around us. But I'll tell you what, you can't be a light to the world if you're hiding in a closet. Put it under a bushel basket, no, no, not me. We're supposed to let our light shine. And we have to understand that being in the wilderness, our failures are actually another chance for us to cry out to God. You know what I'm saying? It's in our failures that so often we're crying out, oh, God, forgive me, a sinner. And he does. And we are sinners. You know, every day, you know, in some way we fall to sin. And if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of God, we'd have no one to cry out to. And if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of God, we couldn't change. You know the old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? It's, it's not true. Old dogs can learn new tricks. And that's why we can never give up on one another or give up on ourselves. You know, the Lord can always instruct us and bring us to a closer walk with him. But the answer to every situation, the answer to every failure that we face is Jesus Christ. It is the spirit of Jesus Christ that leads us. Think about it. It was the spirit that led Jesus out into the wilderness. He was led by the spirit out into the wilderness for what reason? To be tested. And it's a good thing to be tested. You know, one of the things I was thinking about as I was reading this portion years ago, and many of you young people might not realize this, but years ago, every boy, even if you were in an academic program, if you were in the Regents program, they call it in New York State, even if you were in the academic program, every boy had to take shop, and every girl had to take home ec. It was just a requirement. And I remember one of the shops that I took back when I was in high school at Elmira Free Academy was metal shop. And it was, it was really very interesting because one of the things we did is we made our own screwdrivers. But here's the thing that I, I'm, trying to, I'm going to get to here. If you take you know, your steel, your metal, raw, and you try to form it, it, it has no strength. If you put it in a screw and you try to turn it, it would just bend. It has no strength. So you take the, the metal, and what you do is you put it in the fire until it gets to a certain heat. But if you take that metal out and you dip it right in the water to take the heat off of it you know, immediately, to cool it quickly, then that metal is brittle. And you can take that metal, and if you hit it on the anvil, it shatters. But what you have to do is you have to put the metal in the heat, and we used to have this chalk, I don't think they use it today, that you put on there, and you put it in the heat, when that chalk got to be a certain color, you take it out, and you just let the metal cool naturally. And when it cools naturally, it's what we call tempered. And then you could put that screwdriver that we made in, into a screw, and it would turn it, and it was strong. And I couldn't help thinking that's the way it is with us. If we want to be strong in the Lord, number one, we have to be willing to go in the fire. If we're never in the fire, we're going to be soft, like the metal. But on the other hand, if we go in the fire and we say, oh, I don't like this fire, get me out, cool me quickly, then we can become hard, maybe like legalistic and things like that. You know, I've been through the fire, and, and, and I'm going to tell you this what you... But if we are put in the fire and we're taken out and we let the Lord cool us down naturally, we're tempered. So the fire can be good. But if you never go in the fire, you're going to be weak. If you go in the fire and you try to be cooled down too quickly, you're going to be brittle. But if you allow the Lord to temper you, 
you're going to be very useful to him. And I think that's what he's referring to here when he's encouraging the children of Israel, that all of their trials in the wilderness were for their good. And you had those that did get hardened, and they couldn't go into the land. And so we have to realize that it was only those that were temperate in the Lord. They accepted the wilderness experience, and they allowed it naturally to bring them to a place where they were ready to go in. Now verses 3 and 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by, and, and this sounds familiar, we'll, we'll read the New Testament portion of this, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. Now, we have to realize that without humility, we can never be a servant of the Lord. Because pride will always put self first. It's only in humility that we can put the Lord first and then our fellow man second. And... Um, God gives grace in order that we might be humbled before him. He gives grace that we might be able to, to be useful to him, to do the work of ministry. And ha having said this, we have to understand that our first ministry, because we're supposed to put others first, but our first ministry is to our children and to our family. What shall it profit a man if he saves the whole world and loses his own soul? What shall it profit a man if he saves the whole world and loses his children? And so our children might be our immediate children, our grandchildren, but it can also be those that we're very uh, intimately acquainted with. It doesn't literally have to be our biological children, but we have to be willing to make sure that we're, we're going to share the gospel and to share the good news with those closest to us, and then we go out into our, you know, Sumerian ends of the earth in order to share the gospel. In Mark chapter 8, and verse 36, and this is the one I was talking about, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? And we have to realize it's not about seeking after the things of this world. So many people get discouraged, and especially when we're going through times like this, well, well what if this happens and we're not able to buy this, and what if this happens and, and I, I lose my job? What, what if this happens? Well, I don't think any of those things will be pleasant, but nothing can remove you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You belong to him, and you're going to have reward beyond what this life, what this world can, can ever give us. Now, it's also interesting when it talks about the manna in this portion. This manna was not bread, and it was not of this world, but it came down from heaven that the people in the wilderness might be nourished. And isn't it interesting that Jesus came down from heaven. He, I'm going to read the, the portion in a moment from John. He is the manna that came down from heaven. And if you want to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 31 through 35. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. It's worth reading together. Gospel of John, chapter 6, and go to verse 30, um, 31. 
Our fathers ate the, it's talking about this portion of Scripture. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's referring to this portion of Scripture. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gave you the true bread from heaven. Because a lot of people, in fact, we read it in Scripture where many of the Jews were saying, Moses gave us. And he's saying, no, Moses didn't give you that bread in the desert. That man, that was from God. Then in verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So this life wasn't just to a select few, wasn't to just those that were chosen to be saved. This life was to anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. He is the bread from heaven. You know, we have to understand that um, in this wilderness experience that we call life, there are times that we find ourselves in great need. But Jesus is always the one that supplies that need if we call upon him. It's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to get this, you know, concerned. It's so easy to be distracted by the things of this world. But Jesus is our source. He is the one who provides everything that we actually need. And um, I don't think there's ever been a time in history that we're closer to the rapture, the taking out of the church from this world, than we've ever been before. And so we have to understand there's never been a time in history where it's more important for the church to be his witness, to be a light. Here's the thing I'm trying to really get across to everyone. We have a responsibility to God that surpasses any responsibility we have to this government or to man. We have a responsibility to God to be his witnesses, to be soul winners, to be out there sharing the light. You know, hide it under a bushel basket? No, no, not me. Well, I think we have to be careful that we don't hide our lives under a bushel basket. We need to let our light shine. We need to be out there doing the work of ministry. If we believe that the rapture is so close at hand, which I do, then there's never been a greater time for the Spirit of God shining through us in order to meet the needs, the real need of this world, eternal life. Because we have to realize that we're all walking in the wilderness, the wilderness of this world. And yet God has given us a promise to enter in. Well, I think there's two ways we enter in his promise. One is when we give ourselves completely to God. We're completely set apart for his use. Some people use the term, we're entirely sanctified. We're entirely given over to the, to the Lord. And when we do that, we enter into his peace, we enter into his presence, and that is a promised land that we enter into. But there's even a promised land beyond that. It's called Heaven. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived what God has prepared for those that love him. We have something God has prepared for us that he's been working on for 2,000 years. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when we stand before the Lord. You know, I was talking uh, with uh, Vi last night before we, when we were in bed going to sleep. 
And I said, do you ever wonder if when the rapture occurs, if we'll actually be aware that our bodies are being transfigured? <laughs> you know, it's, oh, wow, this is happening. Or whether it's just going to be bam, and we're with the Lord. But anyway, one day we're going to be clothed with robes of righteousness by his grace and by his mercy. And then verses 6 through 10, which is uh, where I'm going to be ending in these verses. This is um, Deuteronomy 8, verse 6. Therefore, you shall, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. You know, there's not a greater land in this life that the Lord gives us in salvation. I don't know about you, but I can remember, um, and I was probably somewhere around 30 years old at the time, and um, for me, life was, was amazing, better than anything I ever grew up with. And I was a school teacher, and we had a house in, in Big Flats, New York, and, and that we loved. And I can remember on a Saturday morning, standing in front of the picture window, looking out, you know, at our neighborhood in the hills on the side with a cup of coffee and thinking, Lord, what's wrong with me? Because seemingly I had everything. I had a wife who loved me. I had two beautiful children. I had a great job. I had my own house. You know, it, everything that is supposedly the American dream, and yet there was an emptiness I felt. And of course, it wasn't long after that I found out that emptiness that I felt was Jesus Christ. That I had no purpose. I, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to live in life, to live in this world today, not having Jesus Christ and wondering, what's the purpose of all this? What's my purpose? But the reality is, he has given us a purpose and he has given us a promise that cannot be shaken by anything in this world. And so as we keep our journey of faith and belief, we can be sure he is going to bring us into the land of plenty. The full life now and heaven later. And there was a book that was written, I don't know who the author was, and it was All This and Heaven Too. And the reality is that no matter how many difficulties we might be facing as believers, life, we're, we're happy. Life is good. You know, we have this relationship with the Lord, but then we also have heaven. What a promise that is. Do you ever think about the fact that one day, all these bodies of flesh. You know, read 1 Corinthians 15. The mortal should put on immortality, you know, and, and we have to, and imperfection puts on perfection. All these bodies of flesh are going to be left behind. But who we are, soul and spirit, who we are, our personality, the essence of who we are is never lost. You're not going to get to heaven and say, 
who am I? You're going to know exactly who you are. We shall know and we shall be known. And so we need to realize that God is preparing for us something that is so absolutely amazing, a reward that is beyond anything that we can even imagine. And so we have good things to look forward to. We have the rapture. We have heaven. We have reigning with Christ for a thousand years, the new heaven and the new earth. You see, as believers, things go from bad to better to better to even better. <laughs> In other words, we go from, as humans, we go from being unsaved to being saved, and that being part of the family of God is glorious itself. And then one day we're going to be raptured to meet the Lord in the air and be with him in heaven for seven years while his wrath is being poured out on the world. Then we're going to come down and reign with him for a thousand years. And after that thousand years is over, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth in which we're going to be dwelling for all eternity. How amazing is that? And the things of this world, you know that old hymn we sing, saying the things of this world grow strangely dim? Well, I think when we're raptured and we're with the Lord, all of the hardships and all of the difficulties are going to be gone. They're not going to grow strangely dim. I think they're going to be gone because we're going to be going to be in the presence of the Lord, worshiping him, and that'll be all the joy that we need. Because the land the Lord has brought us into can only be entered into through the gate of salvation. And that gate of salvation is open to anyone who call upon his name. But that road and that gate is narrow. And so we have to understand that we, as responsible Christians, need to be out there sh you know, sharing people and directing them to that narrow gate. I mean... The gates of this world are so wide and vast. You know, everyone's trying to find purpose and meaning by being involved in this and being involved in that. You know, and the reality is there's only one thing that matters, and that's Jesus Christ and our eternal salvation. Because, you know, barring the rapture, every single one of us, we're going to die. And if that were the end, how sad would that be? But it's not the end. And the Bible gives us so much proof if you really study it with a heart to know that heaven is real, that the salvation of the soul is there and provided for anyone who's willing to accept it. Because we have to realize material possessions cannot compare with the gift of God. If we have Christ, we have everything. If we don't have Christ, even what we think we have is just going to rot like meat in the sun. You know what I'm saying? You know, so many people say, oh, I've got life, this is all great. I mean, it's amazing because when you really think about it, and I've shared this with you before, the highest suicide rate is among the most successful people. And how is it you have all these movie stars and all these, you know, you know celebrities and personalities that you look at and say, oh, it must be so great to be like them, is it? And they go from one relationship to another and... I, I can't help but believing that their lives are, well, I know, without Jesus Christ, their lives are empty. And they have nothing. You and I have more than so many people have because we have Jesus. But that gift of Christ that we have was meant to be shared. It was meant to be shared. And so we need to take the responsibility of getting out there and sharing our faith, not being cloistered away 
but doing what God has called us to do. Therefore, Jesus said, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And then I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Father, we thank you for your word and for the way it's able to speak to our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would take these words and, and just inscribe them on our hearts in such a way that we would come to a place of having no other desire but that of serving you. And so, Father, bless and use the teachings of your, your word this morning and may it minister to the hearts of everyone who has heard. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.